going into the heart of the fire. On one side, the Borlons. On the other, the shadows. And us in the middle. Whether any of us will ever come back, I don't know. If they want Armageddon, then by God, let's give it to them. And not break those chains. They are made of solid Carillion. How much more before I can look in the mirror and not see myself? Because I keep looking, and I'm always there. What was it all for, I wonder? What was any of it for? I was to be a god, you understand? In the final hours before the ultimate conflict. No matter how it ends up, we're going to go down fighting. Who will make the ultimate sacrifice for victory? There's no turning back now. On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Podcast land. Welcome to Grade 17 of Babylon 5 Podcast, part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. We are a group of newbies watching Babylon 5 for the very first time and a group of first ones who have watched Babylon 5 far too many times. We're recording this sucker while some of us are still digesting turkey uh, and we're uh, hopeful that you had a good Thanksgiving and for all of you non-Americans, uh, whatever, and enjoy yourselves. But uh, we are here today to talk about The Long Night from Season 4. I'm Scott, and with me is... Blake. Emily. Kevin. Mike. And Nicole. And before we get started, a reminder, as always, to check out our social medias, which are linked down below. We have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Our newbies are mainly on Facebook. Our... Olbies are scattered amongst them all, and we also do have our Discord page, which includes both a general discussion as well as a spoiler thread. And anyone who's a part of our Patreon, again, linked down below, can have access to that Discord page. And a special thank you to our Grey Council members, those are the producers listed down below, who provide the largest donation to Patreon every single month, which is so very helpful and helps us grow the show. Along with that, please hit the like, subscribe, notify, whatever button's in front of you, hit that button. And then also, if you can, leave us a review. If you're listening on Spotify, there's a button right down below the play that says uh, leave feedback. You can leave a review there. And if you're listening on anything else, go over to iTunes or Apple and leave a review there. And guys, we actually did get... I think it's the shortest review we've ever gotten, but it is five star and it's from Brazil, which is a first for us. So our review of the week comes from um, Bus Driver Buddha and it is great way to follow sh the show. Love the podcast. Thanks. Love it. <laughs> Short and sweet. We like yeah, it. Yeah, we like Short, it. Sweet and to the point. We and, appreciate uh, you. Yes, yes, we do. So if you can, please leave us a review. That really does help. And we will go ahead and dive in to the long night, and I believe Kevin has a synopsis for us. As the Army of Light prepares to strike, Londo and Veer continue to plot Cartesia's downfall. Ivanva and Lorianne look for more first ones. The shadows unleash a terrible new weapon. Dun, dun, dun. Insert all your Breaking Bad jokes here for the long night. You can just do it now and then we'll get back to it. Let's go ahead and hear from our newbies on their first impressions and we'll go to Nicole first. Nicole, first impressions on The Long Night. You know, this was a pretty good episode. It was a lot of setup, I think, and a lot of um, plot building. Um, but overall, I thought it was good. Obviously, I'm happy that Cartesia got got. Um, that was a really awesome, like, the way that they did it. I have so much to say about that, but I'll save it. But yeah, I think that um, it was kind of a heavier episode, a little darker, but I do think that it was kind of 
necessary to move it along to the next steps and the next phase of what's going to happen and what they're doing and what they're dealing with. There were some things about it that kind of bothered me a little, but I'll go into that later. Otherwise, I thought it was good. There was some good lines with Jakar's speech, which was awesome, and the tennis and poem at the end. So there was a lot of very meaningful things uh, placed throughout this episode. So it was heavy, a little sad at times, joyful because Cartagia got got. There was some good and bad. So it was kind of woven together in a way that like didn't make you feel too depressed afterwards, but it was definitely still a, a heavier episode. Emily. I really liked it. And I'm now getting nervous because this was episode five, season four. I haven't disliked an episode yet. So I'm waiting for the bottom to fall out on this. I thought this had one of the best scenes between uh, Beer and Londo that we've had so far. And I feel like this um, had a lot of important character development for Veer since we saw the prophecy where he becomes emperor after Londo. And this sets him up to deal with a really shit situation that he didn't want to ha- he didn't want to be involved in to some degree. So I am interested to see where that goes with his character. And we're short some newbies, so we'll go over to our first ones. Uh, Mike, first impressions. I uh, really like this episode. Um, this is this is part of a set of episodes that I find a really hard time kind of separating in in my mind. They're they're almost a continuous series of storylines and and they're all really really exciting to me um i don't think it's maybe quite as heavy as the last episode felt even though it centers so 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 much on the regicide but i do really like that uh it it features a fair amount of setup and then they really focus in on that story with with londo and jakar and the emperor and and i it kind of sit on the edge of my seat during that whole thing. So another one of my favorites for sure. Kevin. I also like this one. And yes, that scene with, with Lando and Veer is exceptional. The writing choice of having Veer be the assassin is really awesome. And starting off that scene with some humor, starting it light and then have a, have it be a, a roller coaster of emotion for Veer in that episode. And, real, and partially for Lando too, you know, this, uh, this is a, a a great episode. It's got some good stuff with Jakar. Season three is definitely my favorite. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about season four, but this has been very solid so far, but I, I haven't seen the rest of the season in a long time. So we'll see how I progress through it, but I do like this episode and I've liked them all thus far. Blake. I also really enjoy this episode and as much as you all are mentioning the Londo and Veer scenes, I think it's the Jakar scenes at the end for me that make it, especially when, you know, they sit there and say, what have you sacrificed? And he just laughs and walks away. Like you people don't have a fucking clue what I've done. And so just that end scene with him uh, makes this episode for me. And also, as Kevin mentioned, just a bit of, we finally find out who actually offs Cartesia and it's Veer. I don't think any of us would have guessed when we met Veer at the start of this, that, he's going to be the one that will one day kill the Centauri Emperor. And to see that development in that arc with Veer come to that point. Uh, so I think it's interesting to see that character develop and how it plays in overall with where the series is at at this point. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm kind of with Mike on this too. With the serialized nature of season four, these all kind of just run together in this lead up to what's next. So I, I really do appreciate this episode for the Cartagia stuff and Veer coming and doing what, if you've watched the show, you know exactly what he's going to do. It's always fun to watch it happen. And we also get, uh, again, as I mentioned, the Breaking Bad jokes, we get a Brian Cranston sighting, and it's really yeah. actually a pretty huge thing. I mean, Sheridan makes a big strategic call, and it's, it's a call that's, you know, he gets people killed. And so we'll see if that works out for him or not. But Walter the, White gets a white star. Yeah. <laughs> for a minute real quick before we get started because blake brought it up i want to hear from the newbies uh, how did you feel about the realization that veer was the one who did it i was actually kind of happy it was him because one it was done in a way where it wasn't like he was planning to do it in that manner it was something he knew that had to be done and he's coming into a chaotic situation and he acts and that's the result. And it was the needed result. So I actually liked it. I know it's hard on his character because that's not like him, but maybe I'm just a weirdo. 
Yes. Nicole. Yeah, I got to say, um, I wrote down in capital letters and highlighted it said, Veer gets his bitch ass. Like, I was very <laughs> excited that it was Veer because also I feel like, you know, Cartagia was choking Londo out and like, you know, Londo was disposed and Veer knew if he didn't act then, then he wouldn't, it wouldn't get done. And then they'd have to deal with this psycho. You know what I mean? So I think he just acted in a moment of, you know, heat of the moment kind of thing even though like emily said it's not his character to do something like that i think he he just knew it had to be done um and also it reminded me of the conversation they had beforehand about how he said well i could be able to do something dangerous if i needed to or whatever and londa was like take the compliment for what it is and then he's like okay well i guess it's my time to do that so he did. And if he didn't do that, Cartagia probably wouldn't have been killed and the plan would have been thwarted. So I think that it was it was pretty cool to see Veer like just kind of do something outside of his realm of of his character and kind of take a stand. And it was pretty badass. Kevin, we've talked about before that JMS sometimes has his characters talk to him and the way that he had planned this. You know, it was going to be Londo all the way through that was going to end up killing Cartesia. And when he sat down to write this episode, he said that Veer started talking to him and saying it would be so much more powerful if I did it. And I'm so glad that this is the the choice that JMS made, because that scene between Londo and Veer about his his remorse over having done this is such a fantastic scene for both of them, but particularly for Stephen First, who got some good stuff to, to do thus far, but uh, it's an ensemble cast and he's kind of second tier character. So he doesn't get all the, all the awesome scenes that the first tiers get. And this is incredible piece of acting by by both of them but for for sure for uh mr first because it's it's so powerful and it it shows you the the really great guy that he is because as londo points out he wouldn't feel like this if he was a dirtbag like londo is how many drinks do i have to have before i don't see myself in the mirror mike yeah that scene in that line is is one that really resonates with you after the end i guess i just wanted to point out because i'm i feel like i'm sometimes the callback guy as much as it's not in veer's nature to be violent um it is very much in his nature to be a hero uh we've seen his bravery in the past when he sets up the you know narn underground railroad at great personal risk to himself and um you know he's he is a guy who knows right from wrong and and does what it takes you know he steps up to the plate to do what he has to do. And and that is exactly what he did here, even though, you know, we've never seen him quite in this light before. Um, but, but that is what he does. He steps in to, to save his friend and to save the empire. I mean, I think there's probably a dispute whether you, who, who do you think he's acting more on behalf of in this scene, the Centauri empire or Londo? And I would argue that he's probably acting more on Londo's behalf than anything else. Yep, Londo's in the headlock, about ready to get killed. What? Well, and that's two. <laughs> that's that's two emperors in a row that uh, Londo's been around for the end end of. Not that he had anything directly to do with the first, but I mean, he has been around all of the major power decisions and struggles for you know the last little bit here in the empire. You see that he's kind of taking a prime minister type role. Uh, at the end of this episode remains to be seen if that's going to go the way that it's been prophesied but uh it it's been a very interesting turn and it's everything almost everything's had to do with londo we've kind of mentioned this before how jms works in his writing he'll tell you that a lot of times the characters are in his head and they will tell him what to write and what to, they would say and everything else. So he just kind of lets the characters run wild in his subconscious and doesn't. And he was one or two pages away in this script from writing the scene where Cartagia, as Nicole said, gets got. And he does point out it may be a little scary <laughs> that his decisions are made by people in his head. But I love the fact that the character of Veer stepped up, both on the paper, but also in the writer's head saying, this needs to be me. I need to be the one to do this. I really do. I, I think that's 
interesting that we got so close to Londo being the one to do it. To Kevin's point, he's been involved in everything, but Veer is the one who steps up and makes the killing blow. Nicole. So this is something that I've been thinking about since I've watched the episode, and I just wanted to get everyone's takes and thoughts on this too. When Londo went to see Jakar in the cell and basically gave him the directions and stuff like that, when he saw Jakar with his eye and like bent down to talk to him, was it just me or was he like being empathetic and like sympathetic and like, yes, Londo's been a fuckface, but I feel like that moment between them, even though they've been enemies and had their battles and stuff, I feel like even though Jakar told him your heart is empty, I feel like there was still some like compassion there he felt bad about what Cartagia did to his eye and stuff like that you know maybe this is just me being an optimist or sentimental but I just thought that was such a moving scene it just made me want to bring it up because I just felt like it was something that we don't really see very often between them two here's these two people that have spent this entire series hating each other and fighting each other and then there's this kind of like almost tender moment between them and he's telling him he's like you got to do what i say or you're gonna die and and basically like and at the end when he says he's gonna keep his word to jakar like his honor is all he has left i feel like maybe londo's making a turn for the better i don't know Anyway, I just thought I'd see what anyone else thought about that. Every time I hear maybe Londo's turning around, I think of Charlie Brown in that football. This time, this time it's going to be okay. It'll be fine. I promise. <laughs> anyone want to chime in on Nicole's question? I'm going to date this yep. off with that reference. Yeah, uh, yeah. The only <laughs> thing I'll say about that, and I'll be very careful, is that there definitely was a difference in that scene between the two of them. It was palpable. I mean, you you cannot deny that Londo was regretful because uh, he's he'd expressed some regret to Veer in a previous episode. He said, I, I, I wish I could do something about the suffering that he's about to go through. I don't know that I perceived as empathetic, but it made me rethink the prophecy of the eye that cannot see and him needing to save the eye that cannot see because Jakar said now that his eye is empty, it can see clearly, which to me says if it's in his body, I mean, Technically, biologically speaking, it can see, but prophecies tend to use metaphors and other type of stuff in there. So it made me wonder if this was the eye he was supposed to save because he wasn't listening to Cartagia when Cartagia was subtly threatening that this is what was going to happen to Jakar in the previous episode. So I don't know if I took it as empathetic so much as maybe he realized he missed an opportunity. I have two points in it, Emily. Tell me I'm wrong. You're right, and my God, who hurt you? Okay, first off, <laughs> uh, this is what J go there. This is what JMS said when he was asked back in the '90s, "Was this the eye that could not see?" And his response yet was, "Yeah, would have been nice if Londo had at least tried to do something about the eye that did that did not see Cartagia's splendor." So read into that as you will. Second point, my God, can anyone have like an actual emotional response without having some kind of undertone of conspiracy or hate or <laughs> anything? Who no. fucking Trust hurt you? Mm -mm. Absolutely not. It cannot hurt happen. you. Look, we don't have time for a history lesson, okay? <laughs> Show me on the Londo doll where they hurt you. <laughs> Okay. But yeah, so, I mean, and of course, as we discussed a few episodes ago, JMS is a Rorschach painting, and depending on the day, he may tell you something different. But in that case, he did say that, well, it would have been nice if Londo would have saved that eye. Now I feel smart. And still needing some kind of therapy. <laughs> Forever and Who always. doesn't need therapy nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> Amen <Oof>. that. <laughs> I mean, we're all here together. I feel like it's just kind of a group issue. Yeah. <laughs> issue is the emphasis of that one. I was going to add, I mean, I, I do think that for as, as much of a bastard as Londo is, is fully capable of being, I don't, I don't know that we ever really see in the show that he is what I would call a monster, that he is somebody without empathy. Even as he's, you know, he's set up the Shadow War and all that, but even as he's watching the Centauri bomb the Narn homeworld, he's looking out the window. Not, I mean, I, we kind of had a debate about what his emotion was at that moment. And a lot of us, I think, 
assessed it as regretful or or maybe shocked a little bit himself and just a couple episodes ago when he goes and he has a um, his first meeting with jakar in in captivity uh setting up the conspiracy you know there again he he was relaying to jakar here are all the things that they're gonna do to you and and you can tell that even if he and jakar aren't buddies they're not friends there's something and it is just a simple like i can't look at somebody else i can be abjectly uh or abjectly um distant from you until i know your name you know what i mean and and he knows jakar he knows jakar he's talked to jakar he's drank with jakar and so there's absolutely just as there was in that scene some sadness about what he knew was going to happen to him here again i mean he he can't look at the guy and not feel something for him even if again i'm not coming to londo's back because he's definitely a bastard but he he's not an unempathetic person he's not cartagia i can't remember where the line is from it may very well be from west wing but the guy says he can't eat the lobsters at the restaurant because his kids name all of them in the uh (laughs) (laughs) you quoting west wing get out of here yeah Yeah. that's yeah i remember that from west wing yeah (laughs) blake what do you got well, I agree with Mike there. You know, Londo has not been portrayed as a solid monster through this. And that goes back to the whole thing of the show. No one's as they seem. There are no pure characters. There are no evil characters. Everybody's got kind of these shades of gray involved uh, across the board with the characters. And I think it came up in our discussion even back around that time when Londo was on that ship watching the bombing of Narn with the asteroids was... This is a person who had a goal of he wanted to see his people return to the glory days of the Centauri Empire. And that was his ultimate goal. And whatever he had to do to get there, but I think he also realized the cost of what it was going to take. He knew that to get what he wanted, it would cost a lot of lives. And he's known that all along, even from uh, the uh, Technomage that said, with what was it, the... I see a hand reaching forth and screaming and Londo says, my followers. And he goes, no, your victims. Londo's known what the price of this would be. He's done it anyway, but he's known the price and the toll it would take. And he's felt, and he has had feeling towards that the entire way along. Yeah, he's more than willing to be the bad guy. He just mm-hmm. isn't the bad guy necessarily. He, he doesn't do it to to because he's he has a goal in mind that isn't just pain of other people whether i'm not justifying what anything that he's doing whatsoever but he has reasons for it that isn't just i feel like being um a sadomasochistic jackass and i i think it was mike who pointed out this this quote or scene part of the scene too if not it was somebody a few minutes ago but i think it's really heartfelt too to that point when Chikara point says, you know, when have you sacrificed? And Londo just turns around and says, you know, I have. He He's given up a lot for this goal that he has of bringing his people back into the light. And uh, he continues to sacrifice for it. And now he's sacrificed fear. Nicole. Two things I wanted to say. Something that Mike said and Blake, too, kind of reminded me of, I think it was like the last episode or maybe before when Chikara, or I'm sorry, Londo and Veer were talking about Chikara. And Lando even said, I wouldn't wish what they're going to do to him on my enemy, you know? So I do think he definitely feels like, I forgot who said it, but that there's something between them. Maybe not a friendship or a bond, but like there's almost maybe a mutual respect in a way. Like they both have like a, you know, they they respect who they are. But another thing too that I thought about was when he was talking to Veer and he said, when I met you and I wasn't kind to you because you had such innocence and a heart, you know, when he said the fact that you feel guilty about what you did means you have a good heart. Um, It kind of made me think, feel sad for Londo because even though I, I think he feels like he doesn't have a good heart or he isn't a good person, but I really think Mike said it, he's not afraid to be the bad guy, but he's not a monster. He's not, and Kevin, like he's not, like Cartesia killed that clown guy just because, you know what I mean? Like he's not, being awful to be awful, he has like goals that are bigger than him. And unfortunately, there's sacrifices and decisions you have to make, which again, not justifying, but like, I kind of see where that comes from. But I, I do think that deep down, he may not have as big of a heart as Veer, but he's got a shred of one a little bit, I think. Yeah, Nicole, to that point, 
Londo, I think, realizes that he is damned, at least in whatever he believes. I mean, he says in this episode, there's going to be a reckoning, and that reckoning is basically on Londo. But also, I mean, remember what the last emperor said right before he died in front of Londo? You're damned. And so I think Londo very much thinks that Veer still has that ability to survive this and come out on the other end being somewhat clean. Londo doesn't. Yeah. What else we got on Londo, Veer, and the good dead emperor? Anything else? I do have a question, thoughts, thing. So when Jakar came out on the thing, you know how Cartesia said he had his chains redone? Because the other ones looked, is that true? Or did Jakar just have Hulk strength and like break that shit? You know what I mean? What do you think? I I, I have the answer, but I want Emily and Nicole to answer first. What do you think? I I read it more as like a code of, I know what you're planning, maybe. There's something about the way he said it that, but he also seems to lack awareness. So I don't know. I think you're giving Cartagia way too much credit. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not entirely sure he's aware or has a brain or no. knows anything. I was meant to be a god, you know? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, so I was curious because he's like, you're never going to break those. And I just wonder if he did get them replaced, if Jakar just had a, knew that this was the, either he had to do this or he would die. And it was like Hulk strength, like a moment of like, you know, that adrenaline yep. kicking in. Isn't yeah. it better if the, the chains are not weak and Jakar still And then that's what I doesn't. think happened, but I don't know. I think the chains were changed either way whether or not um Cartagia was aware of why they were weak well and he may not have noticed someone might have been like hey they don't look right a little over 25 years ago the question was did londo's men weaken the chains after all or was jacquard just really determined and jms replied that was one determined narn yes mm-hmm. see i was right yay this was his last chance i mean yeah, he yeah. Was gonna... and his people's last chance yeah and i, I think that and it was kind of hot then. yeah it was pretty <laughs> he, he was very he had the chest out if jesse was here we would hear about the chest for sure <laughs> yeah that was a really cool moment i was like damn hulk strength kick in nicole <laughs> went full narn at that point blake what do you got <laughs> Well, I was just going to comment on, too, while we're talking about that scene with Jakar is, in JMS comments, that it can apply to a lot of belief systems, but a lot of people on the Usenets and in discussions since this episode have really drawn uh, comparisons to Jakar kind of chained up in that beam to Jesus on the cross and have drawn a lot of iconography to Christian beliefs. And JMS pointed out it's been used across a lot of different belief systems, and really it's open to individual beliefs as to the interpretation of that imagery, but it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what I thought. I was like, "What is they going to crucify him?" Like that's what I thought when he walked in. I no, was they like, "You were going to eviscerate him." Yeah, Nicole, what do you got? So I think we learned a biological fact about the Centauri. They have two hearts. Did I hear yes. that correctly? A lot of multiple organs. Yeah, I, I you know you could you could go down like a <laughs> you could go down a rabbit hole on this. Remember the. Londo during Parliament of Dreams when he was doing his drunken ceremony said that the Centauri had another species on Centauri Prime that were like as peak as they were uh, and they fought each other and one species survived. I wonder how many eons those two were going at each other and how evolution was like, ah, we need six of these to help breed and we need two of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of said- conflict. Yeah, he said you have to stab him between the hearts. And I was like, whoa. And then I heard it again <laughs> and I wrote it down. I'm like, two hearts, question mark. <laughs> but yeah. Well, and that's an important thing, too. Uh, none of you guys brought it up, but uh, some people back in the day were like, did Veer actually mean to kill the emperor or was it an accident? And JMS flat out said he knew exactly where he had to put the needle. He had to push the button to inject the needle. He had to pull the needle out. He planned it. He knew what he was doing. He had to go pick it up, and he did it. So Veer absolutely had agency when he did that. And he knows that no one's going to take him seriously or see him as a threat. They see him as kind of bumble- a bumbling goof. So if he looks like he's tripping, he can get it done so easily. Because Cartagena wasn't going to see it as an attack. He was just going to be like, oh, great, Veer. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because last week... I was talking with you all about this and I was I was asking questions 
knowing obviously what Veer was going to be, because you all were asking, where was Veer last week? And we kind of talked and we all agreed. No one gives a shit about Veer. No one cares. He's mm-hmm. just there. So I, I love that we saw that for a couple episodes, that Cartagena doesn't care about who Veer is. And Veer's the one who finally takes him out. The other thing I really liked about this whole plot line is at the end where Jakar is on Narn. And by the way, talk about budget cuts and having to work in a hot tub factory where our Emperor's throne room is the same throne room on two different planets. (laughs) I I love that Jakar is now going to have to deal with the same cycle that Jakar was on when we met him in the gathering. Jakar was on a quest for revenge. He wanted to take out the Centauri for what they had done to his people. And now he has his people saying, it's time to push back. It's time to have our revenge again. And he's the one having to say no. I, again, I, the path that Jakar has been on for these past four years is just, it's, it's wonderful that, to see this growth in this character. Yeah, I agree with you, Scott, on that, because at the end, he was the voice of reason with them. I think it was you who said it when he was like laughing at the end. What have you endured? And he just laughs and walks away like those people have no idea, you know, what he's gone through. And it's amazing. And JMS writes about this a lot. He's actually writing about it in his Captain America comic book run right now. It's amazing how easy it is for people to turn from one dictator to another. And the mm-hmm. Narn were like, Jakar, we need you on that throne. He's like, you just got rid of a dictator. You want another one? Yeah. So JM, that's, that's absolutely a theme of JMS's writing, not just in Babylon 5. I just had one more thing to add. Um, the basically like the torture and the parading Jakar around and all the stuff they did to him, that just really didn't sit well with me. I did not like that. I, Good. If it did sit well with you, you would be sadistic. Yeah, we'd no, be having to and uh, we would be hiring a new newbie. No, not but supposed like, to. <laughs> but like it really made me like, I, I almost couldn't watch it. Like it was just almost yeah. too much for me, which I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm sensitive. I'm a lover. I'm, I got a big heart, blah, 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 whatever. But there's some things that are a little too much for me. And I I just couldn't, I really, it really upset me. Like I I didn't like it. I think it says a lot for the production that even on a 90s primetime television show, they were able to do enough without being able to show much blood, without being able to show much to make you feel awkward and sick to your stomach. That, that, that's a lot to the actors as well, too, that they can pull that off. Emily. So after Jakar came in and he, I don't know if he intentionally stumbled or what, but like as he was getting back up and he was talking to the other Narn about you need to have strength and like now is the time to have like the most strength you've had. I thought for how brief that was, it was really impactful because mm-hmm. yeah. it wasn't like a major part of the scene and it it felt like it was a heads up to them too. Like um, some shit's about to go down. So I hope you're ready and you have strength because <laughs> there's going to be a brawl in the hall. <laughs> Nicole. You know, it's funny that you brought that up, Emily, because I kind of, I liked that too. Like when he fell and they went to help him and stuff again, bringing in the, Christianity references and the religion references it reminded me of the story of the crucifixion a lot you know when he's walking carrying the cross and he's falling and trembling and people are trying to help him and the imagery was just like whoa you know what I mean it really made me think of that this is what Catholic school did to me guys but you know (laughs) like I just it felt very reminiscent of that like that feeling you know of like knowing what's coming and like I don't know it was it was kind of cool and like him just speaking don't be afraid and like all that into those people when he knew that he was about to go to the slaughter if he didn't make a move like it it was really powerful I do think there's a little difference since uh, Jesus didn't hulk out and beat yes, the shit yes, yes. out of people with his cross. Would have been a lot cooler if he did. Hell yeah. <laughs> but no, it but just the, the Im- story bit. Yeah, the imagery of up to the moment when that happened was very yeah. like, whoa. Like, Well, and I love Andreas when you, you mentioned the, the piece where he falls down, looks at the kids and says, don't let them see whatever. I forgot the quote now, but it's just like, man, he was such an amazing actor. What a badass, like straight up. Okay, let's go ahead and transition now from Veer and Londo killing the Emperor to Sheridan killing uh, a ranger. And let's talk about that a little bit. Oof. Oof. Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> it was. And when that guy realized what was he was actually being told to do, 
it was funny because when they first showed him, I'm like, is that Brian Cranston? Yeah, <laughs> same. Who at this point was best known for being a voice actor on Power Rangers. He was several of the monsters on Power Rangers. I think it was just one, actually. But He was the B, wasn't he? No, I'm going to look it up now. <laughs> yeah, look it up. He also played Zordon in the really, uh, the, the Power Rangers movie that was better than it should have been. Just stole my thunder. I was totally he was very that. young was and had very, very dark hair. R.I.P. Zordon. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh darn it. I'm he's looking it up. Well, while he's looking it up, because JMS had no clue who this guy was. It was, you know, the 90s. But he pointed out that one of the reasons why this was so impactful is because the actor they found to do this had a lot of gravitas. I'm like, well, yeah, it was Brian Cranston. He does have a lot of gravitas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, that moment when he realized what he was asking him. And then he asked yeah. if he was married, and yeah, he's you know, like, well, that's one less thing to do. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, that was the one dickish thing, and I, I know Sheridan. It was in the moment. He yeah. was just like he was kind of relieved for both not having a family there, and also he doesn't have to make the phone call later to the family. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. well, at least there's one thing. Yeah, you're not married. It, it, it didn't come out well, but I fully no. understood why because it's one of those. I think sometimes when you're dealing with just a really shit situation that's really heavy, what comes out of your mouth is highly inappropriate. It's not because you don't care. It's because it's too much to process. It's a good point. So like whatever bullshit comes out, just (laughs) that's what happens. Mike, do you have a Power Rangers answer for us? I do. You were, you were right. He was two different monsters. I, and I'm not, I'm unclear still whether he was just the voice or the guy in the rubber suit. I think, well, I think all of those. Well, it was mostly the... imported from. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he was he was Twin Man, and Snizzard. <laughs> Snizzard. There's a character in like the future scenes of Power Power Rangers. I know we're just going down a rabbit hole here. That the character's name. Uh, no, it was Billy. Billy's last name is Cranston, and that's, that's because of Brian Cranston. Wow. Yeah. That's what I. That's what I had seen somewhere. Read somewhere. There was like a homage there. Okay, now we've talked about Power Rangers. Nicole, what else you got? So yeah, the whole plan that they have—that's fucking wild. Like I can't wait to watch the next episode to see what happens. I thought at the very end when he was doing his captain's long for the final time, I was like, that's very final i thought that the whole like battle and like the whole plan was insane i do want to point out too that the conversation he had with ivanova earlier in his quarters about the war and the battle man that was intense we found out a little bit more about her childhood and that like her mom killed herself and like what she said to him was like i can't wait for people and i everyone who's asked me to wait for them never comes so you have to make me that promise and that was such a powerful scene between them two and like so heartfelt and like that whole scene was just wow you know and i know that like she's off help trying to find first ones but like yeah you know she was like i don't want you to protect me and you know i want to be there and he promised her that she could be and i think that they're gonna need everyone that they can in this situation because it's it's insane like mm-hmm. um but it was really cool to see that he, he had the support of so many and like the fleet has grown so much so that was pretty neat we had a conversation almost a year ago and i can't remember what the episode was but we had a conversation because remember there was a scene where sinclair told garibaldi make sure you get ivanova off the station and a lot of you had issues with that scene and ivanova as we learned in this episode, would have had issues with that too, because she's tired of being left on the sidelines. She's tired of being the one to survive. So I, I love that that comes full circle too. And I forgot what the episode title was, but I know we had a very lengthy conversation yeah. about was Sinclair in the right to try to force Ivanova off the station if it ever came to that. Um, what else? I, there, there's really something to all that because you, man, you you work with somebody, you care some about somebody like that, and you know what their their personality is going to be like. You know what? No, I don't want her to die like I'm planning on if if things go down. And that's what happens when people work together like that, especially in life or death situations. And you know, Sheridan and her have worked together before, and now they've worked together for a couple of years again. Garibaldi and her have worked together for 
over four years you you that's the kind of th- thing that you do for friends and people that you like yeah that's not to say that it's a commentary on whether it's ultimately right or wrong it's just that is the human end nicole no i i agree with that and we've talked about this before on previous episodes about how they're like a family they're all that each other has i mean if you think about it ivanova's family is dead she doesn't have anybody else garibaldi doesn't have anybody franklin i don't think has anybody i, I don't remember his history but like yeah but they're like a family you know what i mean like yeah sheridan's parents are alive and stuff but like when's the last time they've all seen them you know what i mean so they are like a very tight unit you know and i, I think that there's a lot of respect between them all and a lot of that human intuition to protect the ones that you love, but also you can't hold them back from what they want either. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a, a line that you got to walk. And I think that as much as Sheridan wants to protect her and doesn't want her to get hurt, he also knows that that's not what she wants. And he respects her enough to, to give that to her. We had some conversations about Delenn in the past couple of weeks too. I know she doesn't have too much to do in this episode, but do we see any change with how Delenn's acting? She kind of just stands there next to Sheridan, in my opinion. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, about that. She, she didn't really seem to do a whole lot. Cool. I feel like she's more like <laughs> a, she's more like Sheridan's like sidekick? woman or sidekick. Yeah, like almost like she's taking a step back and letting him take the reins. Well, if she... you know. She's still Ranger One. She's the one who sent out that ship to wherever it was going, but she didn't send it to die. Yeah. Um, and she was the one when uh, uh, the, the the captain um, signs off. He addresses her when he says uh, Intel, whatever he says, the the line. He's talking to Ranger yeah, One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is her, but yeah, but she's not making the calls. What does the uh, that mean? That that phrase that they say to each other. I think it's essentially uh, a Valen reference. Yeah, because they say in Valen's name and they say something in Minbari. I think it's the, I think it's in Valen's name in Minbari, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, Valen's name, eat shit and die. Mm -hmm. I had to ask the hard question, sorry. Thanks for killing me. Appreciate it. (laughs) So real talk real quick about the, the Cranston thing, just because we kind of, I discussed it, but I I would point out that the actual, (laughs) The actual, the fact that they show that Sharon and his his plan fully knowingly steps up and orders this guy to his death to to go commit a not a pointless action but an action that he knows is you know going to fail to set up a bigger plan is something that I feel you didn't probably ever see and don't often see on TV that level of of seriousness and realism uh, at that point that's i i watched that scene and i was like man this is the kind of thing you see in like a band of brothers movie not in like a cheesy 30 year old sci-fi movie or tv series he is not for the warm and fuzzy he is for showing the awfulness of war and the horrible decisions that have to be made and he's not going to sugarcoat a war and I like that about his writing because as much as I'm a Star Trek fan, you know, especially, you know, at this point in the Star Trek universe, the warm and fuzzy was what they were all about most of the time. Yeah, it didn't really start to get darker and more serious until DS9, which, you know, I mean, which, and it was later time. in DS9 too. He pioneered. It's all Garrick's fault. <laughs> but yeah, just what do you think of it? It is. It's one of those things. Like, and we've talked about other other items in this show where it's like, you know, B five went there with their story. They went there and they ran that story about <laughs> choosing whether to let the doctor operate on the kid or let him die. You know, that was the the big one we discussed before, and no one had ever mm-hmm. done that kind of a story on TV before. And so I I really feel like you know it's probably not the first time because there were shows like mash who pioneered a lot of that kind of deeper wars pointless thought but it was just kind of almost jarring in in this when it pops up and and he's like what's up erickson this is what you're gonna go do and erickson's like oh oh no mash is a great reference especially later in the in the series not that they didn't touch on it earlier in the series later it really got heavier and that's a great reference because that type of writing is rare in this time frame going back to cranston having gravitas at most you know 
one and done actors don't have, which is why he's ran his own show after this. But I love the acting there when he realizes, Mike, to your point, because he's Sharon's like they cannot get a hold of this information. He's like they won't get a hold of it, sir. It's like no, no, you don't understand me. I want them to, but they have to think they weren't supposed to. Mm-hmm. And his just his chains are. He's like oh. I got it. Ouch. Yeah, it's like, you got to make it look good, and you're going to cover uh, the escape of the other ships. And then how much time do we have, sir? About 10 to 12 hours. Well, we better get ready. And to your point, too, about Band of Brothers, JMS did reference D- the D-Day invasion when talking about this and how there were several groups of uh, uh, military groups on, from Britain, the United States, and everywhere else who were told the wrong information in hopes that that information would get to the Germans. So the Germans weren't aware that we were going to hit Normandy. So same kind of idea. Nicole. And I think another thing that was kind of powerful too, when I think he made that transition and realized it, when he said that the Mimbari all knew what they were signing up for and so did he kind of thing. I think the gravity of the situation hit him. And then he said, well, this is what we signed up for. Let's get shit done. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It, It took a sec like that. There was like a moment of like, oh, and then he's like, all right, he went into like slay mode. Yeah, it was uh, it was a really powerful moment. We'll give him a fight. I had enough time as we were having this conversation to do some wikiing. And so I do have an answer on the Intel's off. Kevin, you're basically right. Uh, it's an honorific originally given to Valen and then given to every Ranger one after that. And it is the true, it's the, the wiki says the true meaning is unknown, but it roughly translates in, into one who creates or one who protects the future. Pretty cool. Anything else we want to talk about with the B5 side of things? We've got Ivanova going off to find some first ones again. Um, and we've got a buildup. And I know, Nicole, I think it was you who mentioned that this is pretty damn big fleet. So it's it's the, the, the former league is stepping up again. Yeah. And I think that's also an important part of sending Erickson to his death is it shows the league that we're going to sacrifice humans too. This isn't yeah. just about putting all you aliens out there. I just I just killed a, a human to get this done. I killed several. Um, I guess the only other thing we really haven't touched on yet is uh, there was the big reveal that, you know, we already knew that the Vorlons were using planet-killing weaponry. Now we know that the Shadows are also using, I think, a giant horde of termites, maybe? I'm not <laughs> sure. Yeah. With lots of nuclear explosions. That's yes. right, yes. They're, they they they're... walked through how many nukes went down that, that into the core. Oh Holy my crap, god. I, I actually forgot about that part. That yes, insane. you're right. They're doing the same thing in a far less efficient method. <laughs> so Emily, you talked about the Enterprise having tentacle porn. How do you feel about the Shadow death weapon? <sighs> I don't and by no, the way, Emily I, didn't say tentacle porn. I added that part. She just said, "Yeah, it had I wasn't going to correct you because I really don't care." She was thinking it. <laughs> <laughs> I. It looked too familiar. Something about the way the clouds. How many? The how many times have you seen a planet eaten to death by termites? <laughs> Common occurrence happens in her dreams all the time. Well, we all know her dreams are dark. We 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 know that. Uh, to be I'm fair, not saying they're not. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair it reminded me ever so slightly of uh is it the chronicles of riddick oh <laughs> oh <laughs> the absolute sci-fi masterpiece that is the second movie in that series oh isn't that one I'm... just called what, what's that one called is is that the right one i think that's the right name i think the chronicles the is, is number two right the, the first one is pitch black and this yes oh no that's a different i'm pitch sorry black pitch was black was a great actually pitch no, black triple x i'm sorry same guy i was I'll thinking be... of pitch black but uh, yeah, yeah. Triple x. pitch black <laughs> is a great movie and i i will go out on a limb and say that chronicles riddick is also a great movie but anyway did kind of remind <laughs> me of that one thing for all the big sci-fi nerds so nicole you can probably sit this one out for just a second but we've been we've been told throughout the entire series that Harlan Ellison is a, a consultant on this show because JMS and Harlan Ellison were very good friends and to this day JMS runs his estate. But Harlan Ellison's the guy who came up with the Shadow Death machine. It was his idea, and he's the one who mapped out the the way it looked, and then also let's just shove a whole bunch of nukes into a planet's core and see what happens. So that's Harlan's uh, addition to this. I think it was the graphics of it that look familiar. Mm, like mm-hmm. we've seen similar in Star Trek. 
Well, I bet you Star Trek, if anything, took it from them, because I think what you're yeah. referring to is probably when Vulcan blew up in 2009. No, no I was thinking, I thought there was, was it a TNG episode? Yeah, my brain's not quite registering which episode it was, but something about looked and felt familiar. Mm. Nicole's like, sure. Nicole, what do you have? <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, I mean, I don't know shit about sci-fi, so if I'm wrong, please don't come for me, people, but... It reminded me of several other movies where aliens come to Earth and basically take all the resources and go into the core and then like destroy it and move on to the next planet. Like that's kind of in my mind, the missile things were like the locusts that were coming to take the re- I mean, they were just destroying it in this case, not taking the resources. But like that's kind of what I thought of. And I wondered if maybe that influenced that in other sci fi movies out there. I'm trying to think we're to that point to that influence. I'm trying to think. Because we've seen a lot of plants explode over the years and many different things. I'm trying to think, Emily, what looked like that. I'm sure there's something. I just can't think of the reference. Well, might have been Independence Day before, you know, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum gave him a yeah. virus. Welcome to Earth. Okay. Are you, are you mocking Independence Day right now? Yeah, it's a good I, No, man, I love Independence Day. Okay, now, all right. The first the, one, no. The second one, absolutely. The second well, one can be yes, mocked. The second never one. actually seen it. So. You know, you're not missing Yikes. much. <laughs> don't. Don't. Someone yeah, no. asks uh, Brent Spiner's character, weren't you dead in the first one? Yeah, but I got better. It's <laughs> really what it was. Like, we wanted Brent I Spiner mean, back. <laughs> I, I actually have respect for them on that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like the tagline for Crank 2, wasn't it? <laughs> he died, but then he got better. Well, that's what Sheridan said two episodes ago. <laughs> weren't you dead? I got better. Yep. <laughs> this episode was done by a first-time director. Hmm. I thought it was pretty good. Well, it's it's a good one for a new director to kind of, you know, sink their teeth into because really there's like, what, four sets in the entire episode? So you can do a lot with staging because you don't have to worry about bouncing back and forth. I don't know if you guys noticed, but he decided to do that first scene where Londo is conspiring um, in like a basement or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, he did that with one camera. Oh, yeah. Circular shot. And uh, it, it, it looked kind of cool. It looked very conspiratorial, which is the way it was supposed to. My one complaint about this episode, and I made it already, is I really, really wish they would have taken a little bit extra time to do another set other than the exact same damn throne room with red lighting as opposed to white lighting. <laughs> I, You know, there have been other... <clears throat> other scenes and other episodes where I've actually been confused whether they were on Narn or Centauri for that exact reason. <laughs> yep, yep. And again, they filmed this sucker in a, a hot tub factory, so I give them a lot of credit. <laughs> but yeah. you could have done something. I mean, there was a Narn set because we had Narns, like, huddled in that basement set or whatever it was, so... Oh, well. Okay, let's go ahead and end our conversation there about this episode, and we'll move into questions and predictions. For those who are just joining us, our newbies have not watched past The Long Night, and so we'll ask any uh, lingering questions that they may have, and then ask for any predictions that they have, and then we're going to kick them off the show and talk about their questions and predictions in our spoiler section after the credits. So, Nicole, questions, predictions. Well, like an a-hole, I asked a lot of my questions throughout the discussion, but the obvious question is, is anyone going to live? Are they going to survive? What's going to happen with this battle that they're about to go into, which I know I'll never know the answer to unless they show me in the next couple episodes. Well, we are going to be here recording episodes over the next year. I know. So it just take forever. I want to know right now. I don't want to wait. Oh, it's <laughs> so. turned into a zombie show is what's going to happen. Yeah. Babylon Zombies 5. Is it's yeah. a whole new cast next season. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I just want to know what's going to happen. Like, I'm dying to know what the, like, what the result of this fight is going to be. And then I also wonder if I felt like some of the tension with Garibaldi was a little less this episode, but it was still kind of there. Like, he's just very blasé about things. So I'm just wondering what's going on with him and what's going to happen in the future with him. Because, uh, like, I noticed, like, he's like, well, Sheridan's not here. And, you know. Um, oh, also, I know we've already ended our discussion, but shout out to Lanier, who had all the answers and no one would let him speak. Okay. Oh, so- seriously. <laughs> I was like... Come on, man, poor Lanier. But to that note, I thought it was really cool that they were able to kind of pinpoint where the next attack was going to be. But that being said, are they going to be able to do that for every attack or battle going forward if this 
you know, doesn't end everything and they have to continue. So, uh, and I guess prediction wise, I don't really have any except for shit's about to go down and I can't wait to see what happens. Emily, questions, predictions. My first question is what the fuck, Sheridan? That's a really ballsy plan to be like, eh, we're tired of proxy wars. So we're just going to have them come face to face. Because that was his goal in the plan. I love how you make an opinion into a question. That's that's cool. Because there's no way. How do we answer that and be on the rim? Emily thinks he has balls. Does Sheridan have balls? Yes or no? (laughs) Has he lost his ever-loving fucking mind? Okay, that's better. I can go with that one. Has he reached that level of desperation where he's like, yep, we're just going to start an all-out war because this proxy stuff is old. And we'll see what happens because good times. Well, you know, you come back from the dead and, well... Your perspective changes. Your perspective changes. His last plan was pretty bold, too, I would... (laughs) And he's... he's, uh, Remember, he's been told, too, you've got 20 years and then you're just going to, as uh, Lorian said, just stop. Yeah. I don't like Lorian, but I never will, so... (sighs) And then my other question... you? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Another question that I don't think you'll be able to answer is, did Jakar laugh all the way home? Because, like... (laughs) That scene where the guy's like, what have you sacrificed? I was like, is he going to beat his ass or just laugh and walk away? And he just starts laughing. And I'm like, dude, are you looking at Jakar? Are you looking at his physical (laughs) form right now? He's missing an eye. Do you think he plucked it out for fun? Emily, the first thing that popped in my head when you asked if Jakar laughed all the way home is I thought immediately, and this little piggy went wee, 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 all the way home. Exactly. Oh god. Like Maxwell the pig in this pinwheel. So I don't really have any predictions other than the dude who questioned Jakar might be regretting that life choice. Okay, we'll go ahead and end it there for our newbies. A uh, couple real quick things before we move on. This is actually an important day. As we are recording this, we're recording this close to midnight uh, on November 24th. November 25th is the original release of the Babylon 5 series finale so 25 years ago this week babylon 5 ended and so it's interesting to show that we're still talking about it over 25 years later and of course other stuff has come out since then and we'll talk about that stuff down the road but for the better part of the show it ended 25 years ago this week and so i think it's kind of cool that we and other people are still chatting about this thing long after that along with that we'll be back here next week to talk into the fire which is the highest rated season four episode on Lurker's Guide. So I'm looking forward to hearing about all your guys' thoughts on Into the Fire when we meet again. So a reminder to check out all our social media pages. We also, I didn't mention it at the front of the show, we do have our Extra Life campaign still going. We're still raising money for Children's Miracle Network. So if you can donate, that link is there as well. And be sure to like, subscribe, follow, do all that. And please, 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 Leave us a review if you can on either Spotify or Apple or Audible. We can do a review there as well, too. Those really, really do help us. So until next week, when we talk about Into the Fire, I've been Scott, and with me has been... What? Emily. Kevin. Mike. And Nicole. And for those of you who don't care about spoilers, see you after the credits. Bye. All right. Go watch the episode. Yeah. Later. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, spoiler warnings. If you do not want to be spoiled about what happens next in season four and beyond, please leave now. And if not, 
we'll dive into the questions and I guess one prediction that our newbies gave us this week. So guys, the first piece we have from Nicole is, and this is a hard one, is anyone going to live? Question nope. mark. <laughs> nope. Nope. Oh, recasting the whole show. That's <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there will be some reca- uh, some recasting doing between season four and season five, but we got a lot of season four to go first before we get there. Poor Marcus, your time is almost up, my friend. Next off, what is going to happen to Garibaldi? We didn't get much Garibaldi in this episode, but Nicole is concerned. Yeah, I actually forgot he was in this episode. So <laughs> gonna get crankier. He was kind of mellow in this episode. He was just kind of hanging out in the war council, not bitching as much. That's why I think the actor's choice to mm. play it this way so that it wasn't, you know, on a giant billboard, I've been brainwashed is yeah. is a very good choice. I think it's helpful too, since this is going to take most of season four to wrap up. If it was like that, which a lot of shows have done that, it would get so tiring so quickly. Yes, yes. <laughs> Next up, are they going to be one step ahead in every battle or just this one? Well, <laughs> funny thing about that. <laughs> there are going to be that many battles. No, there's not going to be that many battles left. Like I, I've said this a couple times now, and I'm looking forward to hearing from all of our newbies about how they feel about this the Shadow War wrapping up in like, what, what episode are we on for season four? Episode six, five? Episode six? I'd be really interested to see how they feel about that because the Shadow War has been wrapping up since literally season one. We started hearing about the Shadows and it's over next week. Yeah, a whole lot of season four left to go. I can see Emily immediately saying, I don't believe they're gone. Oh yeah, we're going to hear a lot of that. (laughs) I just, I hope that I enjoy the Earth stuff as much as I remember yeah making the earth stuff and i hope mike enjoys it too because i i i realize that mike prefers the the shadow stuff over the earth stuff and i i do i i'm, I'm, I, I'm I get tired it. of our planet like <laughs> you have no idea I'm, t- I'm tired of our planet i agree sir i i hope that i enjoy it as much as i remember next up guys has sheridan lost his ever-loving fucking mind no no i think sheridan's actually has come back more centered and more strategic than what he was i was gonna say sheridan um i don't know why they're surprised because sheridan always makes big plays yeah like he's not a subtle dude he's known he's known as star killer for a reason right it'll come into focus i think next week Uh, true and then i think it would really i mean when they finally see in in the beginning which they'll see here a couple months from now when they actually see that scene that actually started it all with the mimbari war i think that's that's important too. I can't wait to talk about in the beginning because mm-hmm. the, the it's going to blow the newbie's mind. It will be uh, right after season four. We will watch it between season four and season five. And the reason why we decided that, because I know we've gone back and forth, there's a, some hints at what happens uh, at the end of season four in that episode. So we want to make sure we yeah. stick it after that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think... She, I was the one kind of dogging on Sheridan in season three. I think he is more resolute now. I think he understands what's going on. And I think, again, the the fact that he has seen the end in terms of his own life and now has been told he's on a clock, he has nothing to lose. And he wants to end this shit now. Uh, I don't know how to even preface this one, folks. So did Jakar laugh all the way home? I'm sure he did. I mean, it was just such a patently ridiculous statement, just absolutely asinine comment that it didn't it didn't warrant any response other than, yeah, OK, sure, whatever. Bye. And Kevin, I 100 percent agree with you as asinine and it didn't warrant any response. But uh, and I, I we get yelled at when we get political, but I'm going to get political for a minute. 40 to 45 percent of this country right now would say the exact same damn thing. And both the, you know, we need somebody to run the show. And also, what have you sacrificed? You haven't done anything. Uh, yeah. You know, it's true. Yeah, you know, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but. Definitely thinking about that in context of, we just get rid of one dictator. Let's install another one. Well, oh, that was exactly the thought that came to my mind too, Mike. But I, I didn't want to go down the <laughs> rabbit hole. But as we, as we uh, have already gone down there, uh, yeah, definitely. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I said, I mean, JMS, if you haven't started reading his run on Captain America, I really recommend it. He's two episodes or two comics in. Third one is, I think, dropping like next week. And he is dealing with the American Nazis in the 1930s. And and again, JMS is the guy to talk about it. And it's something that it's in our history that we don't talk about much. And most people don't even realize it happened. But those right. motherfuckers filled up Madison Square Gardens for a rally once. So there was a few of them. Well, and Rachel Maddow's new book is right on point with that. And I've heard, I haven't read it yet, but I, I intend on it. And I've heard really good things about it. You can send your hate mail to Rachel Maddow at MSNBC and us too. I was going to say, that's, that's a big. That's to our big... special listener in Argentina. Hi. hi. <laughs> the ladies are still not in the kitchen. I apologize. And if okay. they are, it is their choice. Yes. They may have been in the kitchen last week, but so was I. And so was Blake for sure. And probably everyone else. And we had one prediction. And I think we just kind of hit on it. Uh, The dude who questioned Jakar will regret life choices. Well, he's going to be every alien in the galaxy before it's all said and done. So I don't know about that. How did did that episode go? Uh, It should have had something to do with they're making a pleasant thump when they... Uh, yeah, they the, they made a pleasant thump when they hit the floor. Yeah, yeah. It was Jacquard talking to um uh, Arthur. Uh, King, Arthur. King Arthur. Yeah, <laughs> yes, they did make a pleasant thump. <laughs> okay, guys, I think that will end it for this conversation. I know this was a short Beyond the Rim, but I have a feeling next week's episode will be a little longer in the Beyond Beyond the Rim section. Not to mention, probably in our main general section too, as we discuss into the fire and we end the Shadow Vorlon War. Until then, I'm Scott, and with me has been Blake, Kevin, and Mike. Click all the buttons. See you next week. Erickson, a little while ago, I said that I might be asking a great deal of you and your crew. I've just sent four more ships to rendezvous with your position. Once they arrive, you will proceed to enter Shadow Space. Your target is a small base on Dorax 7. I know the one, sir. But, Captain, it's only ten light minutes from one of their main staging areas. They'd be able to counterattack almost instantly. We're aware of that. We're transmitting a file to you on a sub-channel. That file contains information about a secret base we've established near Coriana 6. Most of the fleet will be there when it goes online in three days. But, Erickson, if this information falls into the hands of the Shadows, they will launch an attack against that base just before it becomes operational. Who are you talking to right now? Who is it you think you see? You misunderstand me. We want it to fall into their hands. We want them in the Coriana system in three days. We're planning a little party for them. But Erickson, this information comes too easily. They won't believe it. We need them to believe it's real. Real enough to fight for, real enough to... You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger. I am the danger. You're not a married man, are you, Erickson? A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks.